For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the uh, entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're talking about a very interesting business. Uh, Anna DeStasio joins us of New Era Immigration. We, yeah, it's been, uh, last week we had an attorney uh, on, uh, we have a, another attorney on. It's a completely different niche. We're talking about a, a really a, a firm that focuses solely on immigration, so really a niche, a boutique firm and uh so a little bit different actually very different from last week but an equally interesting story yeah and professionals have businesses too right they have to do marketing and hr and we do you know uh, listen at fl we live and eat and breathe it as well so it's uh, it's nice to hear from other professionals that you know because the, really the challenge is you're a professional you want to do you want to be the best profession you can lawyer accountant uh you know doctor whatever it is but you also have to run your business and you cannot you cannot ignore the running of the business because it'll just get away from you really easily. Hmm. And uh, we'll get to some entrepreneurial news in a second, but as usual, our introductory uh, chat and uh, talking about some of the, the challenges that that, uh, that I'm facing as a new entrepreneur. And so the question I had prepared for you today was on websites, because we're, our, our relaunching of the website is long overdue. And the debate we're having is, how much do you put out there? You know, How much do you advertise in terms of what services you offer and your, your philosophy? Uh, and how much do you, do you keep for, uh, you know, for either for, for intrigue or just because you want to protect your uh, your, uh, your, I guess, proprietary knowledge. Um, so how much do you give away is my question. I think it's, it's in today's world with so much information out there, it's tough to not give away some stuff. First of all, I'm a firm believer of to, to get, you got to give, you got to give to get. I'm, I'm really a firm believer in it. I think a lot of, a lot of what, uh, what the services, professional services that, that, that get offered today is not always rocket science. It's very much more of a, what's your experience? What's your style? Are you practical? Are you theoretical? Are you getting along? Do you, can you understand the customer in front of you and where they're going? Because you can have, uh, in your case, Dan, you can have maybe three marketing professionals in front of you. Doesn't mean they'll all agree. And it doesn't mean you'll all have the, the same MO, the same style. But if you start not if you start hiding things or you start not giving away the store and then they look out there and they say, oh, but this firm does A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and that firm does A, B, C, D, maybe they do E, F, G, but they're not telling me, well, if somebody's going to find you online or somebody's going to search and compare, you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage. So it does. I, I think then it comes down to what's the detail of information that you give? You can always have your 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 title line. You can always have your you know your your headline service. The details that you put underneath that might fluctuate a little bit. But if you don't at least enumerate or list all your possible services, I think you're putting yourself at an absolute disadvantage from the get go. Again, doesn't mean you have to give away the store. It doesn't mean you have to give trade secrets, whatever those might be. But if you don't at least enumerate what you do and what you can do. You're you're slow out of the starting gate. So maybe just limit up, I suppose, the the detail in in sort of the list of services, uh, rather than sort of elaborate and and you know put your stuff, uh, put your secrets out there. Right. It's also a question of you know what are those secrets? Mm -hmm. Because you can have you know your own style of, of of social media management, 
but you don't have to tell them what it is, but you can enumerate, Hey, yeah, you know, we handle social media in the, in the case of, you know, websites and, and offering services for, uh, for a PR or marketing firm, we manage social, we have social media management and we address, you know, all the six or seven, you know, of the, of the main, of the main social media platforms out there. And it kind of depends on your industry. You can elaborate quite a bit still without giving away what you feel is best for any one industry. So it's always good to maybe give a little more than not. If you don't, then you're really, then, then somebody else will. Somebody else is not afraid to give away a little more because they know that it's a lot more personal than that. They know that if they sit in front of you, it's there, they're going to either get you or they won't get you and forget about what you, you know, all the things that you list online, it's going to happen. So I would say you're better to give more. Uh, at least in a general, maybe some specific, than trying to hide some of the services and coming with afterwards. You're 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 really going to be slow out of the starting gate. All right. Thanks for the advice. And now some entrepreneur news of the week. Uh, the CEO of Gap uh, took some uh, pretty interesting advice from an unlikely source. A five-year-old. <laughs> okay. You know, and this this is amazing. And and maybe it's a publicity stunt. I I I, I hope not. But a five-year-old wrote to the Gap saying that I don't I didn't like. You know, he wrote to the to the president or CEO of The Gap saying that I am not thrilled with your choice of selection for girls. It's a very girly, it's too pink, it's whatever. And we're, you know, as a girl, I, I find that I, you know, I, I, I want a little more and I, I'm okay with the, with the, with the guys. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I'm not talking like a five-year-old, five-year-old girl, certainly that that's going to be tough for me. And this CEO responded. This CEO, now I'm sure CEOs get a lot of emails and a lot of letters, but this CEO responded and and really took the girl's uh, suggestion to heart. But that's that's not the point. Maybe it, maybe it was a promotional stunt. Maybe, you know, who knows what. The point of the story, the, the reason why I'm, I'm glad you brought it up is because ideas can come from anywhere. And ideas can come from sometimes the most unlikely source. As entrepreneurs, you have to be open to that. You can't be closed-minded. You have to, that's why we, you know, Often we say when you're including people in your business and talking about ideas or having little retreats or, 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 you know, whatever brainstorming session, why limit it to a select few? It's amazing how many people in your, in your company, your business know and could have the most amazing idea and they'll feel good contributing. Don't leave it to the top management to do it. You never know where your idea is going to come from. And and stop worrying about somebody stealing it. Stop, stop worrying about, you know, somebody running away with this with the store. Oh my gosh, I'm 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 bringing too many people in. It's they're going to No. I I'm a firm believer of let people shine where they have to. The most unlikely people can give you some of the best ideas. Just be open. Why are so many professors making their way to Canada now and why could that be good for Montreal businesses? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> this is kind of the topic of Trump and his protectionism and the wall. And you just don't know. I, I think there's some great opportunities for Canadian companies. I think there's some great opportunities. You look at the, you know, we, we, we talked, we talked the last few weeks about the AI field, artificial intelligence and where, and how Montreal is really positioning itself or has positioned itself, certainly after being, you know, forefront in the gaming industry and the tech side of, of, of things that, we are, we can be a hub. So I, I'm talking about Montreal, but it can be Canada as a whole. And if, if there is going to be, and these, these brains, these, these, these gaming AI scientists, these really brilliant people aren't all Americans. They come from all walks of life in all parts of the world. You, you know, whether it's Eastern Europe, whether it's China, whether it's wherever, wherever they might be. 
and they're working in the U.S., if they are going to be targeted as maybe you're not American or maybe we need to be a little bit more looking at home, well, then these people are not going to feel comfortable and they're going to leave. Where's the closest place for them to go and still stay in North America? Canada. Hell yeah. So let them. So I'm, I'm saying entrepreneurs, keep your eyes open. Canada is a great place to live. I know I'm biased. Montreal, Canada is a great place to live. Take advantage of the people that feel slighted by some of the potential immigration policies that are coming and take advantage of it. Not to mention some of the academic studies or perhaps uh, experimental technology that could be coming down in Montreal that a lo- local businesses could take advantage of because of that that sort of brain drain to Canada. And, and you know who would ever think that? Who would ever think that? You know, Canada is going to steal hmm. great thinkers from the U.S. <laughs> but you know, lo and behold, bring in uh, one president with a little bit. Heavy on the protectionism, and uh, you never know what opportunities are out there. Finally, Wendy's making fun of Burger King in their advertising. Uh, good idea, and uh, is this uh, potentially risky? So Wendy's uh, took the approach. Now, everybody gets comments online. Everybody gets comments on their Facebook, on their Twitter, on their Instagram, on their LinkedIn, on their Pinterest, or what have you. And sometimes they're not so positive. Sometimes they're negative. Wendy's has decided to hit it head on. Wendy's has not decided not to be the most polite and politically correct company on the planet. They say, I don't like the way you've dressed up this burger. They say, okay, thanks, that's too bad because lots of other people think that it's good. They, they're not rude, they're just direct. And they, they've opted this because this is a strategy. And I'm sure you've seen this uh, provocateur in your PR business. If you have a strategy that's a little bit different than, than somebody else, it's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of people I find online kowtow to, you know, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I can't believe, I'm sorry I offended you, please stay, you know, please stay tuned, please keep liking us, hopefully we can do better next time. Well, you know what, sometimes the listener isn't always right, and sometimes being direct with them, because every entrepreneur and every business has to make a decision, sometimes it's about being that that real company with the real response. They've taken a, st- a stand that says, you know what, we're just going to be real. We made decisions, we're going to stand by our decisions. And let them, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not going to call them names. We're not going to, but we're going to stand by our decisions and we're going to be a little bit less apologetic than perhaps our neighbor like Burger King or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's a, it, if your competition isn't doing that, you're going to stand out. And that's the whole goal, right? With all these, with all these similar burger places, stand out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my my advice in these situations is uh, obviously it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to, to be controversial, take a stance as an organization, but be very calculated about it. And you have to, you know, do the damage control afterwards and be prepared for all that. It's conscious. It's a plan. But if you think about it and you stick to it, it could absolutely work. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting with Anna, Anna DeStasio of A New Era, Era Immigration. Anna, welcome to CJD. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Surreal, but thanks for being, thanks for having me here. Well, oh, you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> it's, we're just, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you've been in business for, for a while. Tell us first about A New Era Immigration, what it is you do for a living. Certainly. So A New Era Immigration is a boutique law firm 
advertising in a U.S. and Canadian corporate corporation or individual that seeks to. Re- How did you get into this? How did because you, you know you were you were an attorney before this 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 hasn't been since you know for the last you know. 10 years since you were a puppy, uh, maybe a little bit longer. It's radio. Nobody can see. Uh, but, but what was, what was the inspiration? Uh, what was, what was the drive? What were you doing before new emig- new era immigration? So as a lawyer, you're not asking how did I fall into law? Like, no, no, no. Cause that was, you know, no. yeah, just, we assume that was an actual conscious choice for whatever reason. My parents wanted to get me off the streets. They put me in law school, <laughs> but actually, so I was a lawyer for about 10 years or more before I started new era immigration. Like most things, this was definitely not planned. In fact, I had reservations being on this show because I thought I'd disappoint a lot of the entrepreneurs out there. Uh, and then Josh told me that actually it's okay. Some people fall into it this way. Sometimes they just entrepreneurs go with their gut. Right. And that's pretty much all I had at the time. I went with my gut. Uh, what I what I, what I I was doing before coming to Quebec, I was actually an immigration attorney in Toronto. Um, went to law school there. And Toronto, the corporate immigration practice is much more robust than it is in Quebec and the way they do things there for I think they're kind of any disrespect to Quebec isn't obviously the amount of work that Toronto gets they were just a little bit more advanced with the use of technology flat fees they sort of went away from the traditional law firm model and that's where I learned to be a corporate immigration lawyer and I worked and turned by none other than Jan Bomza who's a friend to this day and she's Waterhouse Cooper's immigration and very big national the way I was I was taught uh, when I came to Quebec and started working as a lawyer I realized some of those things were lacking and again I worked at two great law firms but was trying to get to this point where I could do exactly to do and I just was struggling. You saw this opportunity here in Montreal, and despite the fact that maybe you would have naturally stayed in Toronto, you saw you saw the opportunity here, and, and that's why you chose to come back? Well, Dan, that would be a cool, funky business way of looking at it, but no, I came back for my Italian family. Ah, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing really well there, but the, the guilt, and you know, my mom did call me every day for 10 years asking, when you come back home? <laughs> so eventually I gave in, and uh, it was always my desire, and ultimately to come back and like to say that the business reasons prompted it, but I think it was the other way around. Mm. And then being here as to what was missing. So your business model, you really were trying to get away from that hourly rate, that, that, that typical standard professional hourly rate. I know we try and get away with it, uh, get away from it as well. <laughs> uh, not with it, get away from it. <laughs> Let's make Throwing sure that, uh, that I choose my slip. words carefully. <laughs> no, no slip there. Uh, and, and, and so you were really trying to, to make that new model. Is that really the, the drive to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done with other firms. I got to go on my own and do that. Yeah. And I think that's, that was one of the things. And I like to say we completely succeeded with the flat fee, um, hybrid when it comes to consultations, we'll, we'll do an hour, but otherwise it is flat fees. And there's also the emphasis on technology, which is very big. And a large client that has 200 employee base for them where they can access, fill out investment to be made in that. And I, I think that the traditional flat fees plus that, uh, yeah, I like to think. I, I think that's great. And, and certainly as you first started your firm, there has to be you know a, a little reticence, a little nervousness. And when we come <laughs> back from the break, we'll kind of talk about what are those first steps and those first feelings as you as you go out on your own. Anna D'Astasio of New Era Immigration, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is Anna D'Astasio of New Era Immigration, another example, Josh, of a professional service, a branded one. We'll get to that maybe in a second. Um, but uh, but still, you, you need that that marketing, you need the infrastructure, and you certainly need uh, the entrepreneurial drive. And you're, you're leaving 
you know, as an employee of other firms and you're saying, you know what, I'm going out and I'm starting on my own. I'm it. I'm not taking out a partner at that time. I'm really going out on my own. What are your first thoughts and what are the, some of the first things that you do when you're opening up your, your, your practice? I, I, I know you, you toyed around with, with other partners and trying to get into things, but when you're going out on your own, uh, what are some of the things that, that kind of kept you up awake at night? Well, actually, <laughs> there wasn't any. And the reason is, actually, I'm going to have to cop to this. isn't really much of a thought-out plan. While I was trying to implement those changes from within the technology, but I'd only been there for five months. They were very gracious. Partner, I had my own team with me, my clients. It really was a question of when I decided to do this at their law firm. So I wasn't trying to leave. And I made that decision, but I did. Um, I wasn't going to stay six months and co surreptitiously plan my law firm on the side. One, I, the cat was out of the bag. And two, uh, ethically. Worry about where your first clients were coming from? Uh, no, because I did have one. I'd been practicing for 10 years. I didn't realize, as I was speaking to my colleague before coming on, uh, Ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, right? So I just literally yeah, downstairs, sure. downstairs, we how sublet. we got to know each other. We subletted it. It was a very large space sublease, uh, and I was just like, yeah, la la la, like completely. For the like, record, we didn't talk her into it. It wasn't persuasion. <laughs> it was actually her decision to do it. Let's let's just be fair. We weren't slumlords. It was actually quite the opposite. We I was there for accounting advice, and then told them that we were looking for a thing in two weeks and they had this great space. So let me ask you the same question we asked uh, Jamie of Legal Logic last week. Why the the branded law firm? This is something I'm seeing more often. Why not Distasio and Associates? Yeah, actually that is I think a big part of what uh what I didn't mention other than flat fee. I didn't want to be that dusty lawyer that also removing myself from the equation, not wanting to could replicate itself maybe because we are international lawyers. Is it easier to attract attorneys based on that model? I don't know. I never. <laughs> You're right. I. You know what? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I've never been Distasio Lawyers Inc. Bring them oh, and, on next time. And <laughs> we'll bring them on next time. And there's no question. There's you know there's certain there's marketing efforts. There's word of mouth. There's a, there's a lot of team around you. There's no question that helped as you as you've grown from the, the two three people uh, to to where you are today. And uh, when we come back after the break, we'll explore those things and more. And a Distasio of New Era Immigration, our guest this evening on today's Entrepreneur. Later in the hour, some tax talk with Ernie out of tax season, of course. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L.'s Josh Miller, and this evening we're chatting with Anna Distasio of New Era Immigration, and uh, continuing our chat about marketing, Josh. And uh, and Anna, how do you how do you market um, a law firm? Uh, we asked this uh, last week as well. Uh, you have a professional association to deal with, of course, a very strict one. Uh, you know, various ethical uh, issues. Um, you know, you can't just put up a billboard anywhere. Uh, how do you market a law firm? Well, actually, I, I think this is the moment. I read that anecdotes go well here. Go yes. for it. <laughs> uh, so the answer is there's no straight answer. I wish I could say I have this brilliant marketing. I've never been that kind of person. You know, I've never been comfortable sort of selling. Uh, so the way I look at the way we marketed inadvertibles as a kid when I couldn't sell Girl Scout cookies and chocolate for the life of me, I couldn't dream of going up to anyone's door and ringing the doorbell. It's so, like so much chocolate piling up and not knowing what to do with it. And you didn't want to eat it all yourself, of well, course. I mean, that, that, that's usually what I used to do, but one day I got an idea. <laughs> You're right. I used to usually eat it and ask my parents to 
match. But one day, my my husband, my brother, sorry, who's going to kill me for saying this, was uh, an accord an accordion concert. <laughs> as a it's a talent. Some people it's, it's have a it. Talent. We're Italian. What are you going to do? So I remember going to this school and bringing all the chocolates with me. And the inter- intermission, there was no cafeteria, nothing. I just sat at a table, put the box in front of me, and they went like hotcakes. It's always been my thing, like create something a niche or a service that people really need and then they kind of just you know if you, if you build it they will come that's where the firm to me represents that that tendency to civilly market through word of mouth and everyone knowing look canadian and u.s corporate immigration services we're one of few law firms in quebec still have but your website and your and your social yes, media pages course. but you're telling me that you have it at a necessity but you don't necessarily rely on it we don't rely on it. i think it, it helps you need to have that stamp of authenticity we've got an active Facebook manager who happens to be my spouse is very keen on doesn't miss a, a beat on that linkedin our facebook pages their seo uh, but again that's i'd say like five to ten percent of our business Let, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the team you know and you kind of you threw it out there so we're going to have to ask you the question you work with your husband yes so how is that working with your spouse day to day and then going home how is that who goes been home with you who goes <laughs> well he's home you should go there eventually True. How, how, how is that working uh, with family because you have a very family oriented atmosphere right uh, so how is that? And none of it was planned again, right? So initially, I think my spouse fed up of giving me free advice for about a year. And then I think when he to ask the clients to pay eventually, because we were too actively finished up his MBA and stepped in, move. But how did it work out? To me, it's a dream come true. I like to be the lawyer, the specialist, the quest, handling a lot of the stuff that I don't like to do. His hours are very different. Uh, we're, we're on two different floors in our own office. So it's not like we're in each other's... Uh, face so it works you, quite well do you find that it's 24 7 you take it home of you course. bring it to the office I, I already do that in my own mind and then to actually have another person that wants to engage and talk about it all the time i'm really on the clock it's a good thing we don't do uh, hourly rates because i'd be charging my clients 24 <laughs> 7 thankfully it's flat fee uh yeah it's it's constant now the, there's also you know we there's there's the professional there's the business owner there's the mother I mean, it's a it's a, it's a lot to balance. And if if I and I, I know her story, I know Anna's story a little bit. When you first started the firm, you didn't have your son, but lo and behold, <laughs> soon after you did. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how you were able to balance. Yeah, if so, you were able to balance. Right, that's a good question, right? Uh, so I didn't know. Um, well, you had a good leave, idea, but well, let's we'll just leave say the that, details out that, for that. Yeah, with less than nine months, the baby showed up the firm I created a nursery on the second floor I had an office babysitter and came, she came in I really was able to really have it all but I didn't I couldn't sleep at one point telling my husband you know her uh, you know to stay stayed right a year off and he said yeah you would have never would have had that flexibility later on is that a, is that a, a culture aspect that has permeated throughout new era since since you've opened then yes it inadvertently created a certain culture and we're like newborns but we, we still today your kids can come to work and you air ever hinder your professional ability to service a client <laughs> <laughs> no never fully uh hindered there's been a few moments where a toy fell on his head because from someone threw it from the second it was a stuffed animal but that's cute it's cute yeah if you're paying a an exorbitant flat fee you might think otherwise but <laughs> no it's it hasn't actually it's i think it's created us with the people working there that has no question now there's a whole team around you and how is that is that that you've been able to maintain that culture was it easy to find people did people kind of were they attracted to that type of family culture in the office 
I think everybody was attracted to that, both men and women, actually. Most people that waste where people are slacking. So definitely the motivated hard workers could about finding the right fit uh, in terms of the corporate part and the immigration. The Toronto have been lawyers for a while that wouldn't know how to adapt to that. It was a bit of a challenge, but we fixed that by hiring a lot of fresher. To do what you love you to do and to do what you're good at. That's right. On the nature of the work, you're dealing with people that are sometimes in crisis, you know, sometimes have their their, their lives in your hands. Uh, <laughs> what do you do to sort of um, to calm a client down and, and to, to make sure that, uh, that, they, that they feel reassured? Well, this is a loaded question. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, you're Abby. <laughs> or no, it's one. You have like a couch, making... <laughs> right? They just lie down, and you talk soothly to them. Pretty much, yeah. No, not at all. Uh, crisis to me are par for the course. Someone is stuck at the border, or is being detained, or sent away. Never happened to one of our clients. It's usually a client that comes a client after it happens. I think for the most part, uh, the way you do soothe or Abby them is to know yourself inside out and to always have a solution ready. I've been doing this 15 years. I've had three weeks break for giving honeymoon at one point at <laughs> a call I had to take. So the one thing I do know is 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 the content, and I think I have a solution for them, and I believe there's a solution for everyone. So speaking of of you know sharing that knowledge or having that knowledge base, uh, and and we're you know we're coming to the end of this little segment with Trump out there and certainly <laughs> immigration rules, they must be changing by the second. How, how do you keep up with it and how do you adapt with your, your clients? Uh, it, it certainly has got to be changing by the, by the day almost. Well, you know what? Actually, immigration law has been a madhouse. Especially during the advent and life of new era immigration, there was a harp, the change of administration. And the conservative government made sweeping change. Call back a client and say, yeah, I know you, 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 were, you qualified, but you're not eligible this morning. I remember once being a speaker at a national conference and I was speaking on a topic and the topic became obsolete because that whole program had shut down. I always kept saying, oh, why can't Canadian immigration be more like U.S. immigration? It hasn't changed in 25 years. Well, lo and behold, lo and behold <laughs> careful what you wish for. So here we are. Uh, and it's it's business as usual for Canadian immigration lawyers, thankfully. Um, I, I don't want to pronounce myself on what's to come because it's a li- it certainly keeps our clients um, thinking about immigration, which is good. And there's no question, immigration, Dan, we've kind of talked about it at the top of the show. You're Canadian business, you're worldwide. Sometimes you hire some U.S. people. Uh, so Ernie's going to come on and chat about the challenges of hiring. Uh, and just, just to let you know, Ernie's actually going to come on tomorrow morning on Andrew's show at 8.20. And uh, he's going to chat about personal income tax season. That's not for tonight. That's going to be tomorrow morning. So tune in for that at 8.20. But tonight it'll be about what happens when you're looking for people south of the border, your Canadian business. What are the challenges? What do you got to think of when you when you got tax on your brain? For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you. And our guest this evening is Anna DeStazio of New Era Immigration. We'll have her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, we're joined, as usual, by our tax expert, Ernie Furt of F.L. to talk about uh, international taxes. And uh, tomorrow, Ernie, you're going to be on the Andrew Carter Morning Show uh, talking about, well, not international taxes, but the tax season in general. Just regular taxes tomorrow. Today is international, so let's get started. Excellent. <laughs> Now we, we're, you know, the the show, you know, Anna's a great inter- immigration law firm. There's no question that as Canadian businesses expand worldwide, and as they certainly look, you know, below the 49th parallel in trying to add to their sales and add to their to the dynamics of their companies, they sometimes look to hire people south of the border. So, what are the, some of the challenges? What are some of the first things that come to mind when you're thinking about? 
whether it's compliance for tax purposes, whether it's planning and keeping the government in mind so you don't get caught with too many penalties and issues and form filings. What are some of those challenges that come to mind first? Well, the first thing, it depends what you're trying to do. If you're, if you're bringing in U.S. employees to work in Canada, the first thing that they need to, to be able to do is to work. First call is to Anna and yes. to get them a work permit. Okay, so they, not they, prompted at all, really. No, not off at all. The, Anna, Anna, you'll give me my money later. Um, <laughs> but they need a work permit to, to, to work in Canada, and, and then you have to explain to them how taxation works, because sometimes it's a big surprise that our taxation rate can be up to fifty three percent, and they're used to thirty thirty five percent rates, depending on where they are. And you just have to ensure that they understand what they're getting into, and then you have to get into: Are you? coming to Canada to stay, or are you coming to Canada solely to work for a year or so? Now, sometimes the employee works here in Canada and sometimes in the States. What What's the different aspects and what do you got to keep in mind where they're physically doing their job? It, it depends who's paying them, but generally speaking, you know, you, you, so what I like to do with these kind of people is split the payroll. So you split the payroll between Canada and you split the payroll between U.S. So you set up a U.S. payroll potentially for some of, for some of the clients. It's like some clients go, uh, they, they want their person to be in the state. They want their person to be in the States physically for a long period of time. And so they, they send them there uh, to, to do a barnstorming tour, whatever it may be. And so you want to make sure that they're paying their proper U.S. taxes, they're paying the proper Canadian taxes. And then you have to go back to that residency thing. Where are you a resident? If you're a resident of Canada, then you're paying tax in Canada on your world income. Uh, that complicates matters with the United States, that tax is not on the basis of residency, but tax is on the basis of citizenship. So you have certain things to address with those U.S. people coming here, if they want to stay here, for how long do they want to stay here, and what, in fact, they're going to be doing here. Now... But you could work here and not be a resident of Canada. You could work here and not be a resident of Canada. Uh, you're on a temporary work permit. You're staying for a little while, and then you're going back uh, back home. As long as you don't establish residential ties in Canada, then theoretically you're not going to be a resident. If your if your loved ones are staying south of the border, uh, your your wife and children or your husband and children are staying south of the border, you maintain a home over there and you work in a corporate apartment over here, then chances are you're not a resident of Canada. Other things you start to cut close. So there's a questionnaire that we have that uh, that you could file with the, the Canada Revenue Agency to determine your residency status, if you want to go that way. Or alternatively, you can do it. To, you can do it together with your accountant and run through those questions and see where you sit and see if you're if you're on the borderline or if you're not on the borderline, so to speak. We're talking uh, about uh, hiring. U.S. people for uh, for Canada. We were talking about uh, immigration, new era immigration. When we come back from the break, we'll chat a little bit more with Ernie and uh, a little bit more about what are those complex situations, what are the challenges when hiring somebody that's not Canadian. Plus, Anna's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneurs next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Anna Destazio is here of New Era Immigration and chatting with Ernie Furt, tax specialist at FL. Ernie, how much business can a Canadian company do in the United States before they sort of owe American uh, authorities some, some tax money? It depends on how you set up in the States. If you don't set up at all and you're just running your business from Canada and you have a salesman floating through the, the, the States, the question is, does that salesperson 
in the United States create permanent establishment. Permanent establishment is the basis of U.S. federal taxation, and it's also the basis of Canadian taxation. And you're going to look at the treaty between Canada and the U.S., and the treaty is basically acting as the referee between the two states to determine where you're taxable. So generally speaking, if you don't have bricks and mortar or somebody in the U.S. with authority to contract, you don't have a permanent establishment for federal purposes. However, the states are all different and they all need money, just like our provinces all need money. So what happens with them is they decide their own rules and most of the states do not follow the Canada-US tax treaty. So you could have a situation where you have nexus, which is a connection to a particular state without having a federal permanent establishment and you have filing requirements, say, in New York State. If you sell stuff in New York State, which is a border state to us, you can sell stuff to New York State. You have salespeople floating around in New York State. You may have a filing requirement in that state, carrying inventory in that state. You got to be careful and you got to talk to a state expert in each state before you start doing business there. Just quickly and just as we wrap up, does a showroom in the United States constitute a permanent establishment? A showroom doesn't constitute a permanent establishment in accordance with the Canada-U.S. treaty. There's a, if, if you're temporary, you're okay, but you have to watch your state nexus with showrooms and with trade shows and things like that. Just a mere presence in, in certain states for the same period every year for a week to go there could cause you to have a state filing. Great. Thanks very much, Ernie. An absolute minefield. Uh, I know impossible to deal with it in just a few minutes, but thanks very much. And as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do each week, we'll turn to Anna D'Astasio of New Era Immigration and ask you, Anna, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Well, I think I'm going to diss lawyers for one minute. I'm allowed to because I am one. Um, and I had to think of this. I think lawyers are used to usually focusing on the details. We usually like to be the smartest people in the room. I think a successful entrepreneur, away from the details, look at the big picture. Be entrepreneur is the smartest person in the room. He's, so as a lawyer, I guess I would just advise that switch, however painful it is, and your business will... You're the smartest person in this room? <laughs> Don't answer that question, please. <laughs> Don't answer that question. Excellent. Thank you, Anna. Dan, you know, uh, each week we all definitely get some takeaways. My takeaway tonight, uh, you know, and Anna has used this word uh, quite a bit, and we've heard it a lot from entrepreneurs, it's following her gut. It's following what she knew was absolutely right, regardless of the empirical evidence or what people around her told her. She followed her gut. She made it work. She made it happen. She knew something had to change. And absolutely, as an entrepreneur taking risks, that's got to happen. So that was absolutely inspirational. Thank you. Anna D'Astasio of New Era Immigration. Uh, congrats on uh, on the company, and thanks for stopping by tonight. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks to Ernie Furt as well. And Ernie is uh, right back here at 8.20 tomorrow morning with Andrew Carter for general tax advice for all. Stay tuned for that. We are off for two weeks uh, due to Passover and Easter. Back at talking about the transport business on April 24th. We'll see you then. Have a good night.